Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Rivalry. Nothing personal word of the day is rivalry. There's nothing like a good rivalry, right? It brings out all of the most irrational views of fans, coaches, students. One of the great rivalries in college sports, and who doesn't love college rivalries, is Michigan-Ohio State. Now, you know I'm a Badger, so I don't like Michigan. I don't like Ohio State. I don't like Indiana. I don't like Minnesota. I love Wisconsin. But I always was jealous and recognized that the Michigan-Ohio State football rivalry was something that, as a Badger, I just wasn't a part of. And I wanted the Badgers to beat those teams so badly, mostly Michigan, partially Ohio State. And the way I would rationalize everything is I always figured Wisconsin was a better school. We had back-to-school filmed on campus there. We had Bascom Hill We were Wisconsin on Wisconsin. But I got to talk about the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry because it's pretty big. But more importantly, something happened yesterday that made me laugh. And if I'm laughing, it means I'm trying to get you to laugh. So the Big Ten had a conference call with all its coaches. So you can picture what these conference calls have been like during COVID. Hey, how's it going on your campus? Fine. How's it on your campus? Great. Hey, you're not practicing, are you? Absolutely not. I think we should still play. Oh, yeah, we got to play. We can play. I don't know. What's your chancellor saying? What about your president? What about your athletic director? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, you're losing money, are you? Yeah, what about masks? Should we wear them? Did you see what was going on with these other conferences? They're not playing. We're going to play. We got to play. We're going to play. So they have these conference calls where they're going through, trying to figure out what's happening in an ever-changing world by the minute as it relates to COVID, where places that were cold cold spots are now hot spots, places that were hot spots are now cool spots. Some are cold, some are warm, some are getting hotter, some are just a flat-out Petri dish. So you have these calls. And yesterday, let me actually, let me just tell you, have you ever heard of Jim Harbaugh? Jim Harbaugh is the coach of the Michigan Wolverines, the head coach. Then you've got Ohio State coached by a man named Ryan Day. Ryan Day, in 2020, I think he's, it'll be his second full season. I think he coached for a few games in 18. Jim Harbaugh has been at Michigan for several years. Remember, he used to be in the NFL. His brother, John Harbaugh, is the coach of the Baltimore Ravens. And so I think there was a Super Bowl. It was brother against brother at some point. And they had this amazing uh, um Super Bowl where they interviewed the mother and she didn't know who to root for. Remember all that? Anyway, so Jim Harbaugh is this fiery guy who I had thought was not going to keep his job because Michigan had had such a hard time winning. They had not beaten Ohio State University. They haven't beaten them under Jim Harbaugh one time. And frankly, you can lose every other game 
if you're the Wolverines coach. But if you beat OSU, you're going to be the most popular guy in town. Michigan has only beaten OSU once since 2004. I think Ohio State's won like eight straight. Michigan, their football team has only, I think their last championship, Coco was telling me before the show, was 1997, which for Marlins fans may seem like yesterday or forever ago. We know Ohio State won the championship back in 2014. So obviously they've just had a more successful program. They've been in the college football playoff a couple times where Michigan is not. Yada, yada, yada. It's a rivalry, but it's one of those rivalries as a Nick fan. I used to call the Nick Bulls, the Knicks and the Bulls, a big time rivalry back in the 90s. But if I were a Bulls fan, and I've spoken to many Bulls fans, the Knicks were not a rival because we could never beat them. So rivalry to me is when you're locking horns, you're having competitive games, and you're back and forth, you're winning, you're losing, you're winning, you're making adjustments, and you're at them. That's a rivalry. This is called a one-way ass-kicking. So they're on the call. I guess, by the way, Coca, if I'm going to take that position, how can the word of the day be rivalry? But I digress. So they're on the call. And you know how Bill Belichick does certain things as coach of the Patriots where he sets you up, he'll show you a formation or call a play during the preseason, and then he'll do it that same way the entire season, and you'll scout him, and you'll be ready for that when they go into that formation. And come playoffs, he'll use the same formation, do something totally different. He sets you up. So when you're in a rivalry and you're a really good coach, that's, that's what you do. Jim Harbaugh is on the call. And here's what he did. In front of everyone, all the other coaches of the Big Ten, he said, and by the way, not relevant at all to what was going on during the call. He said, excuse me, excuse me. Um, I just would like to say that it's not very fair that you, Ohio State, were having one of your coaches like your linebackers coach do on-field instruction to your linebackers. I saw that photo on the social Google. Now, why would Jim Harbaugh be alleging this in such a quote-unquote public way on a call? If you are trying to set up Ohio State, you take note of what they did wrong, you write a letter to the Big Ten Conference, maybe to the NCAA, and you allege wrongdoing at a moment when there could be an impact, like a suspended coach, a suspended player, a fine, something that would interrupt their mojo as they're getting ready for a big game. You don't waste that bullet on a phone call that is generally COVID-related. But Ryan Day, bless his soul, responded by saying on the call, hey, Jim, How about I worry about my team and you worry about yours? Hmm. That is the sound of a man who is being dismissive of someone who he does not consider a rival. He wasn't apologizing. He wasn't saying, I'm going to look into it. He wasn't saying that it happened. He wasn't saying it didn't happen. He wasn't acknowledging the fact that today, Friday, August 7th, 2020, is the first day that you're allowed on-field instruction in college football. He then, after the call, said, we're going to look into that. G-M-A-B, right? You know what that means. 
Give me a break. If Pete Alonzo were here, he'd say G-M-A-F-B. Hopefully people got that, Coca. Anyway, so the call ends. Ryan Day goes into a team meeting. And in the team meeting, Ryan Day tells his players, (laughs) I hope there's a mercy rule in college football this year because we're going to hang a hundred on them, referring to Michigan. That, of course, leaked to the media. And that is what we call in the business straight B squared. Straight blackboard slash bulletin board material. B squared M? We would talk to our managers actually about bulletin board material. I spent time talking to players about bulletin board material. I want to ask rhetorically because the studio audience is not here because of COVID. What is the actual impact of bulletin board material? We watched the last dance with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan would make up bulletin board material. He'd pretend that George Carl Carl was shunning him or Gary Payton said something wrong or he would make up something to get himself motivated. Bulletin board material is something that when you say something, you are poking the bear and you never want to poke the bear in sports. If you're Ohio State and you've won as often as you have eight in a row, why would you ever poke the bear unless you thought the bear was a squirrel and poking the squirrel means nothing. You can play with the squirrel all you want and there's nothing the squirrel can do because you're a big, bad wolf. So the cockiness that Ohio State is showing is fascinating to me. And it's the type of cockiness that can only come with repeated winning. And that's something that I never had through 18 years in sports. I had sporadic winning, some of the greatest winning of all time, including a ring. But I never had the Bulls type of domination. Never was dominated. The closest we came is what we did to the Mets in 07, 08, I think, stopping them from making the playoffs, the Marlins did. We had a time when we couldn't beat the Phillies when they had Jamie Moyer. Then we had a time when we couldn't lose to the Phillies later on. So there's just a lot of back and forth winning and losing that happens. And sometimes players say things, especially with social media. Sometimes managers say things. And you would go down and talk to the players and you'd say, what's the purpose of that? Tell me what was in your mind when you said it. And more often than not, It was unintentional bulletin board material. And I always said, if you're going to do it, do it in a way that has purpose, meaning, and timing. Don't do it by accident. And I got the feeling that yesterday, Ryan Day was doing this on purpose. Ryan Day was responding to Jim Harbaugh calling him out and acknowledging and bringing up the fact that Ohio State had broken the rules, which clearly, if there is a picture on the interweb, that shows the linebackers coach, Al Washington, having a on-field instruction prior to today, that's a violation. Is that going to mean, and we're going to get to this later in the show when we talk about LeBron James, we got a big thing about LeBron later in the show, but does that mean that Ohio State's going to be more prepared? Does that mean they're going to win their ninth straight over Michigan because they had a little on-field instruction with the linebackers? I don't know what Harbaugh was doing. I really don't. But I do know this. It's time to move on. You know what I want. 
want to talk to Samson. It's an early so you want to talk to Samson on this Friday afternoon. Get into Twitter at David P. Samson. Ask me a question. By the way, my last name is spelled S-A-M-S-O-N. I get a few people who write, so I want to talk to Samson, and I really don't know who they're talking to. At David P. Samson, I guess I understand the confusion. Get in the DM, ask a question. I'm going to get to it. This was a question that flows perfectly from the rivalry, nothing personal word of the day. The question was, can you please discuss what in the heck is going on in college football? Well, that seems like a general question. Why did it capture my fancy on a random Thursday evening? Spoiler alert, I start working on the show the night before. Well, yesterday, two things happened of note. One, the Big Sky Conference, which is in the FCS. Now, you know what the FCS stands for. Football Championship Subdivision a.k.a. Division One AA, a.k.a. it's a bunch of schools, none of whom are in the top 25. And I said that without any knowledge whether any of them are in the top 25. But after my pre-show meeting with COCA, I would say that none of them are in the top 25. They canceled their season. Done. Big Sky Conference became the second college football conference after the Ivy Leagues to say no more football. Everyone's saying, is this the domino? We've talked a lot about dominoes on the show. Well, it's not the domino, and here's why. You know when you place 10 dominoes in a row, and you, there's a survivor challenge like this, by the way, and you put the domino down, and then it starts going, the second one falls, the third one falls, the fourth one falls. God damn it. I put the fifth one too far away. The fourth one fell flat. The fifth one is upright. That's the end of the domino. The SEC is the fifth domino in this example. Not only are they playing, as of today, of course, but they announced their health and safety protocols and they announced considerations that they will undertake when deciding whether to discontinue a game. That's the new word. We used to say, do you remember back before uh, in the beginning of COVID, Coca, where we would say, is it postponed? Is it halted? Is it canceled? Is it paused? We had a lot of adjectives that we used for sports. The SEC released game discontinuation considerations. <laughs> okay. They're so foolish that they made me laugh. Here's one way that they will consider to discontinue games. If there's a campus-wide or local community positivity test rate that is considered unsafe by local public health officials. All right, everybody, keep calm. I got to make a phone call right now. I'm going to call a local public health official. I'm going on the inter Yahoo, and I'm going to look under local public health official in Alabama. One second. I'm going to have Nick Saban call. 
Hi. Okay, you are the local health. Oh, no, you're a local public health official. Thank you so much. Question. So we have a um, outbreak a little bit in Alabama. Not a big deal. We got a few people, maybe 10, 50 people, nothing. So what is the positivity rate that you would consider unsafe? I'm sorry, Nick. I don't know what you mean. What do you mean unsafe? Is that a legal term? Is that a personal term? Do you want me to tell you what we have as a positivity rate and then you decide whether it's unsafe? Do you want to tell me the positivity rate and I'll decide whether it's unsafe? Or should we get together and talk about what we think a positivity rate should be that is then unsafe? Because if your positivity rate is 8.4, then I'm sure as hell going to tell you that a unsafe positivity rate is higher than 8.4. And if your positivity rate is 20.1, I'm going to tell you no problem. I think it's 25%. So wink, wink, wink. I'm winking on YouTube right now on Nothing Personal with David Sampson channel, which thank you for subscribing. Winking, I'm winking. 22%, 8%, 4%. Hike, Omaha. Hike, ha. We got another consideration. This is a good one. Inability to isolate new positive cases. We're not able to do it. I'm sorry. Discontinue the game. We can't do it. We have an inability to isolate new positive cases. Or quarantining high-risk contacts of cases of university students. The inability to quarantine high-risk contacts of cases of university students. What in the H-E double hockey sticks does that mean? We don't actually have the ability? Get a hotel leave the rooms open when someone tests positive, do the contact tracing and stick them in the hotel room. That's a quarantine. You want to shut this shit down? That's what you do. Nah, there's an inability. Don't worry though. The SEC has other rules. You have to wear masks or gaiters and try to cover your nose. You're asking me what's going on in college football. I'm going to answer that question for you. What's going on is the conferences that use football to fund themselves, their coaches, their programs, and the good feeling in their community, they're playing football. The conferences that are being responsible and don't count on football in that way economically, they're being responsible. Am I accusing the SEC of being irresponsible? I'm the one who tells you I am about business. But don't pretend that it's about anything but that. Don't pretend that you're taking into account the personal well-being of all of your student athletes. Don't do it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I'm sick of it on a Friday. Don't give me a press release of 15 things that are written so poorly it makes me want to vomit. Thinking we're a bunch of idiots when we look at it. Oh, they're doing everything they can. Look at this. They've got game discontinuation considerations. Makes me sick. I'm happy they're going to play football. I'm not rooting for them not to play, but be transparent. Say, listen, we're playing. We're going to do everything we can to be safe. We're not going to stop games unless we are absolutely told to by the federal government with the National Guard. I need to calm down. And the way to calm down is to take a break. We're going to get to LeBron later. But after the break, I'm going to tell you a story about something that has caused Great calmness. We'll be right back. 
The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think there'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON, only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to a Friday Nothing Personal. You know that throughout this pandemic, every day I'm watching movies. And you know if you've been listening this week, if you're just catching up and you're starting on Thursday, but today's Friday, so that would be yesterday. Forgot the day. I've been reviewing musicals. This week, I love musicals. I love documentaries. So I watched that thing you do on Monday. I watched two Bob Dylan documentaries, Tuesday and Wednesday, that were phenomenal. I reviewed Woodstock, a documentary yesterday that was life-changing. And last night, I watched a documentary that out of everything I've watched this week is more likely to change my life than any of the others. It's a documentary called What Happened, Miss Simone? It's a documentary done about the life of Nina Simone. Now, Nina Simone is someone who I'd heard of. I watched and love Point of No Return. Bridget Fonda is one of my all-time faves. Literally. She did a movie called Point of No Return where she loved Nina Simone and the music of Nina Simone, but I didn't know her music when I watched that movie. Every time I've watched it, I didn't focus on it. I love the Thomas Crown Affair. Who doesn't love Renee Russo? I didn't realize the song from Thomas Crown Affair is Nina Simone's. I didn't know Nina Simone had recorded a version of I Got Life from the musical Hair. Powerful, unbelievably powerful. I didn't know the story of her activism. I didn't know the story of her sickness. I didn't know the story of her death, her ups, her downs, her fame, her struggles. The most telling line of the documentary is someone who says the only people who don't recognize Nina Simone's voice are the people who have never heard Nina Simone's voice. And I had never put one together with the other. And after this documentary, there will never be a song I hear by Nina Simone that I will not be able to identify as a song by Nina Simone. 
when you are in an abusive relationship, when you are in the public eye, when you have to be performing and on at all times, when you have the weight of a social, racial, civil rights movement on your shoulders, there is ample opportunity for mental health issues, physical health issues, unbelievably powerful songwriting and performances, life-changing and affirming lyrics, including a song called Mississippi Goddamn after the bombings in Birmingham. It's about an hour and a half, the documentary, and I hope that you watch it because I am now going to download Nina Simone's music. I will have it for me during runs. I will have it for me to think about and listen to and have it relax me, but also make me thankful that she performed and wrote and did what she did. What happened, Miss Simone, is part of a quote by Maya Angelou. And this documentary goes through exactly what happened to Miss Nina Simone. Thank you, Nina. Okay, uh, I'm in a fight with Coke about something, and I'd like you all to settle it, please. I think I've explained, if you're listening to this and, and subscribing on, on uh, Apple or wherever you download your podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, thank you. Subscribe, watch, tell your friends. I do a pick of the day. It's called the Nothing Personal Pick of the Day. We generally try to get to it. But if something happens during a show where I go too long or something comes up during the show that I need to talk about because it interests me or it interests Coca or likely the intersection of such interest, we don't get to it. But I submit the pick in the rundown to Coca every day. You know I'm three and five because Max Scherzer left the game against the Mets two days ago, and I lost that pick. My pick yesterday was the Reds and the Indians the over because it was Luis Castillo against Carlos Carrasco. And I thought that there would be at least 10 runs scored. I had no idea that one team would score all of them. But that game went over. But Coke is not letting me count it as a win because I didn't say it on the show. But deep down in a place that he doesn't want to acknowledge, he knows I'm four and five, even if I have to tell you I'm three and five. I swear to God, I'm going to run through this computer and rip out that soundboard. How about some better noises than that? Pick of the day today is Jack Flaherty over John Lester. I'm taking the Cardinals over the Cubs. The Cubs are the best team in baseball next to the Marlins and the Yankees and the Twins. They're having a great season. Lester's got a nice little tidy ERA in the one-plus range. Jack Flaherty has been not playing, throwing balls against his mattress. The Cardinals are going to find a way in what I'm calling the mattress game. Take the cards. I'm getting back to 500 in my own mind. Okay, wait to see is when we go through and we talk about things that are going to happen. We keep track. We have a document of every way to see we've done in this show. I revisit them, tell you when they do or when they don't. It's not like I'm making a prediction or a pick. It's what I'm telling you I think in my brain makes sense that's going to happen. And when it happens or it doesn't happen, I want to let you know. We did a whole segment yesterday on Texas Tech and their head women's basketball coach, whose name I'm not going to give you because she doesn't deserve 
to have her name spoken on the air. She was involved in abusive activity, to say the least. And I said on this very show yesterday, yesterday, that the president of Texas Tech will have no choice but to fire the coach. It's not even a question. There is no choice. Well, late last night, it happened. It was not an official wait to see because why would I make a wait to see out of something that is a guarantee? Wait to see. The sun will set tonight. It's too cheap. Not doing it. Texas Tech fired the head coach. Well, I've given some love on Twitter to the Marlins, and they deserve it. They've got the best record in baseball. They're 6-1 and one for the first time since a long time ago, maybe 2004, 2009, 2016. They've only played seven games, I grant you, but they're the only team in baseball with one loss. They swept a four-game series after being quarantined with a whole new roster. My wait to see is this. And this is not me being down on the Marlins because I'm so happy. Don Mattingly, a shout out to you. Don Mattingly was hired by the Marlins before the 2016 season. Derek Jeter, for whatever reason, kept him and even signed him to an extra year this year. He just became the all-time winningest manager in Marlins history, passing Jack McKeon. I believe that the New York Yankees will still finish 10 games ahead of the Marlins. And the reason I think that is the mentality of the Marlins right now, us against the world, the underdogs, the big story, the great story. They're getting national love now. They're getting all the attention. Can they be the team that makes the playoffs for the first time since 03? Yeah, don't worry. I'm aware of that. Can this be the team with a bunch of almost no names coming together? Can it be? The answer is I don't know. In the NL East, the top two teams will make it, as you know. It's not out of the question, and I'm rooting for it. But the Yankees are a better team. And while it doesn't show now, the Yankees will finish double digits ahead of the Marlins when you look at their records. That does not change how excited I am about what the Marlins are doing. And by the way, Coca, I put in a tweet congratulating Maddenly about our franchise and people lost their minds. I want to say this. When I put the word hour was purposeful, not a dollar in the jar on this show. That's totally different when I think about me as though I'm still in the game or running the team. When I say our franchise, it's the same way the Yankees are your franchise if you're a New Yorker and you like the Yankees. I always viewed a sports team as a collective. It's our team. At least that's what fans would tell me all the time. So the minute I use our, people are all over my ass. All right, it's your team. All right, I'm moving on to LeBron as I promised I would. This week, we delivered some extra content. You had a, uh, an extra bonus Samson sit-down with a writer for The Athletic. His name was Joe Varden. It was about a half-hour show a couple days ago. And the reason why we wanted him on the show is that he is a writer for the NBA. But above that, He is in the bubble. So we did a whole show about what it is like to be in the bubble, what's going on in the bubble. And above that, he also happens to be LeBron's guy. Now, I don't mean it's his assistant, meaning 
It's like Pedro Gomez with Barry Bonds back in the day. Do you remember that? It's when you are a writer or reporter, you get assigned to somebody and you basically follow them around. So Joe Varden was with LeBron covering him when he was in Cleveland. He's now covering LeBron in L.A. He is a LeBron aficionado and he wrote an article and he gave an interview, got an interview with LeBron and LeBron answered a question very strangely. The Lakers have not been doing well in the bubble, as you all may know. LeBron uh, LeBron actually sat out last night. And I believe they lost to the, I don't know, was it the Rockets 113-97? And if I have that right by memory, I'd be a little surprised because I don't think that's right. It was the Rockets. That's hard to imagine, Coca. Was the final score 113-97 by chance? Because if so, I think we should just stop the show. It really was. Okay, that shows you where my head is. So LeBron was asked about the offense and the offense, which has stumbled. And there've been a lot of high scoring games in the NBA and asked why it was stumbled. And LeBron gave what can only be characterized as a very strange answer. He agreed that he and the Lakers were looking for a rhythm on offense. But then he said, quote, it's just some things that you can't control. That's here that I really don't want to talk about. That's off the floor. And then left it at that. I immediately started thinking about, does he have an issue with his first-year coach, Frank Vogel? Is there an issue with J.R. Smith back on the team? He's got Dion Waiters on the team. Remember Dion Waiters from the Heat? The guy who passed out from taking the entire bag of edibles instead of just one? Had to be hospitalized? Is it possible that Dion and J.R. are combining to make it impossible for LeBron? Is LeBron upset with the pending free agency of Anthony Davis? Is LeBron missing his family? Is LeBron having issues because he's got his cell phone when he normally wouldn't heading into the playoffs? What about the illegal practices that LeBron purportedly held in Los Angeles during COVID? Does that turn out that they're not helpful, that they were helpful, that he thought they'd be helpful, that they used to be helpful, they were helpful, but now they're not helpful? Did he think that that would lead to a better rhythm? And then once they got in the bubble, there is no rhythm. Is he upset about something going on in the bubble? Is it the food at Disney? Is it the fact that he has to wear a mask? Is it the fact that he has nowhere to go? Is it the fact that he can't be with his teammates the way he wants to be? What could be going on off the floor that would cause this to happen? We talked to Joe and Joe told us in the show about the pressure that LeBron is under. We've said on this show that LeBron has done the opposite of what Jordan did when Jordan was the greatest player, of which to me, Jordan still is. Jordan stayed away from politics. Jordan stayed away from taking positions. LeBron's done the opposite. And I give him credit. He's been a go-to voice during this time of incredible social unrest. He is trying to effectuate change and also chasing the ghost of Kobe Bryant and the number six associated with Michael Jordan. All of those things are happening right now. And there is an opponent of LeBron James that he may finally realize that he won't be able to beat. 
It's the undefeated opponent that you and I refer to as Father Time. There are athletes who try to defeat that opponent, Tom Brady, Ichiro, Tom Dempsey. He was an old kicker, I think, in football. I don't know. Have, I literally have no idea why that name just came into my head. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played late into his 40s. Every single player, Julio Franco, baseball, I think he played into his 70s. That's a joke. He played until his 40s, maybe 50s. Except who knows? Playing basketball at an advanced age is very difficult. When you're a superstar and your body stops doing what your mind thinks your body used to be able to do and thought it still can do and pretends it still can do, but then your body says to your mind, I can't do that anymore. I don't even know what you're talking about. You expect me to thread that needle and to have a burst of speed to get past these three seven-foot defenders and sky on my knees to a one-handed dunk four feet above the rim? Are you kidding me? I know I could do that six years ago. Believe me, I know. I'm just as sad as you are. I can't do it. That could be what is bothering LeBron. We don't know. I found it very telling that LeBron would say that because he's so purposeful with his statements. He's so careful and considered with the timing of those statements. As the bubble is heading out of the seeding games, which are the eight games the teams are playing prior to the actual playoffs starting. When the Lakers, who have clinched the number one seed for whatever that's worth inside a bubble, it is surprising to me that those words came out and it should make you nervous as a Lakers fan. Because if there are things that he believes he can't control, the only way that is possible is if he's gone through the process of attempting to control them and failed. Because even with time, people, including me, try to control it until they've proven to themselves they can't. And that's with something that going into it is an absolute loser. Everything else LeBron has been able to control his whole life, his whole career. Stay tuned to this story because there's definitely, definitely going to be more. I got a correction. Okay, here, here's how this works. I say a lot on the show. You know it's unscripted. There's no prompter. <clears throat> we have topics, but we don't know what direction they're going to go in. I said Shohei Otani when he hurt his forearm and was going to hit and not pitch for the rest of the year. I said that he got the biggest contract for a Japanese player, and I was just wrong. Let me tell you what happened with Otani and remind you because I had to be reminded. Number one, the posting fee that the Angels paid to have the right to negotiate a deal with Shohei Otani was $20 million. That was the maximum allowed at the time, still allowed, after the rules changed so there would not be another dice K situation where a team would spend $50 million and then sign the player for $50 million and basically not enable any of the low-revenue teams to have a chance at these great players from Japan. The Red Sox did that. Ironically, Dice K was an absolute bust. Can we call Dice K a bust? I think we can. So Otani, his team in Japan got $20 million, not the biggest posting fee. 
the signing bonus that Otani got was only $2.3 million. Do you remember there is now, and I had just forgotten, there is a cap on international signing bonuses. And the Angels had freed up all this money. And they offered him $2.3 million. And what was surprising to me is that the contract Otani took was so small, it's the most he could get. Why he chose the Angels, he claimed they were going to let him play two ways, which we now know is probably not working out. He liked being in L.A. It's obviously closer to Asia. Whatever the reason was, when he signed, I always had the feeling that the Angels had an agreement in place on a huge extension that they were going to give him. And that was absolutely not allowed. There's no way to prove it because baseball came out when Otani signed with the Angels to appease all of us executives who were sort of looking askance at what had happened and said, if we find that the Angels in any way have made a promise to Otani or negotiated a second deal for Otani, they will be subject to severe discipline. Well, we don't know what's going to happen with the Angels, and we don't know whether they are going to sign him to an extension, especially because he may not be who they thought he was going to be. Is he a $200 million player the way he could have been coming out of Japan? In any case, I think he was guaranteed more. I'm not going to make it a wait to see. It is a business question of the day, though is whether or not the Angels, if they had promised Otani a record-breaking amount upon signing him to be given in the future, are they still going to do it when they know that he's got the arm issues he's had and the problems staying on the field? He's going to be DH and he hit a home run last night as a DH, his first at-bat after his forearm injury. But will it be enough to actually go through and sign him to the deal that I believe to this very day he was promised? So thank you for the correction. And we also have another angle to ponder as we watch Otani's career unfold. So a quick live note that just happened that Coca just whispered in my ear. Um, we talked about in the beginning, the Big Sky. I just want to give you a follow-up to the Big Sky conference. That is the conference that is uh, part of the FCS. They're canceling their fall season. They are reportedly going to announce they're going to play all in-conference games this spring. This is interesting to me only in that if a lot of conferences choose to play in the spring and the Ivy League's left open this possibility too, players who are eligible for the draft who have a chance to be drafted, in my opinion, will not participate in those games. They will opt out even if COVID, if there's a vaccine, even if everything's done and good and great, because why would you risk injury? So the college football situation is evolving, and we will, of course, follow it. Okay, I want to end the show with something that happened last night. And uh, it's, it's a complicated issue in some ways and a simple issue in others. The Oakland A's are my pick to win the AL Central over the Astros. I've talked about it on CBS Sports HQ, talked about it here on Nothing personal. The Oakland A's are off to a good start, and they had a game. They've had two walk-off home runs already. They're just having their good team. They've, and it's not like they're a sleeper. They won 97 games last season. They have a bench coach. His name is Ryan Christensen. And last night, 
Ryan Christensen after a home run. I there, Remember the new protocols we talked about yesterday with MLB? No high-fiving, all the stuff that you can't do. So we're seeing walk-off celebrations. Nick Markakis in his first game back hit a walk-off home run for the Atlanta Braves after he had opted out, then he opted back in. He took seven days to get himself together, reported for duty with all the injuries to the Braves, hit a walk-off home run. The celebration, instead of the big crowd at the plate where everyone's jumping on each other and ripping off their shirts to show their buzzers, instead of all that, they are now doing what's like reminding me of my mime hug in camp, my mime activity when I was part of a mime troupe where you're giving fake high fives, fake elbows. Some teams are doing it, some teams aren't. Well, the Oakland A's are a team that has been doing it. So upon coming, crossing home plate, going back to the dugout, Ryan Christensen extended his hand in what could only be said to you was the Nazi salute, the Hitler salute, where you put your hand in front of you straight out a bit at an angle. In the video, it it looks as though a player says to him, what are you doing? We're supposed to be bending elbows. And then Ryan Christensen does it again and says, oh, my God, and then stops doing it. That video, to me, as a very sensitive person in this issue, as I, obviously you understand my view towards anti-Semites, toward Nazi Germany, the Holocaust, I would be the first one to condemn someone who thought that anything about white supremacy or Hitler or the Nazis is anything other than a fireable offense, if not a jailable offense. And I understand the issue with free freedom of speech and expression. But in this day and age, you knew what was coming and it came. Matching statements. Starting with Ryan Christensen. I made a mistake and will not deny it. Today in the dugout, I greeted players with a gesture that was offensive. In the world today of COVID, I adopted our elbow bump, which we do after wins, to create some distance with the players. My gesture unintentionally resulted in a racist and horrible salute that I do not believe in. What I did is unacceptable, and I deeply apologize. The Oakland A's countered. A's bench coach Ryan Christensen greeted players with a gesture that looked like a Nazi salute. We do not support or condone this gesture or the, or the racist sentiment behind it. This is incredibly offensive. I don't like when you use adjectives. It's, it's offensive or not offensive. This is incredibly offensive, especially in these times when we as a club and so many others are working to expose and address racial inequities in our country. We are deeply sorry this has happened on our playing field. The A's have left it open to whether they're going to fire him. I think they're going to see how the uh, public wins are. My problem with Ryan Christensen's statement is simple. I don't understand how anyone is not aware of what the Hitler salute and the Nazi salute is. Is it possible there are people in this country who don't know? Is it possible that the education of those in our country is so poor that we have to go back and make sure that we teach certain things? It can't be. It can't be that Ryan Christensen did a statement where he had to say that he did a salute and that it was unintentional. 
No one does that salute without knowing what it is. It can't be, Ryan. I'd like you to come out and just say it. When it comes to sports teams and dealing with situations like this, because I've had to do it, the Oakland A's have dipped their toe in the water. And if the public lets this go, they'll let it go. If they don't, they'll react. It's like Texas Tech firing its coach today after the allegations were made public. You think the president of Texas Tech didn't know that 12 players had transferred? You think the president of Texas Tech didn't know that the strength and conditioning coach had resigned amidst allegations? It's laughable. You think the A's don't know what they have to do? They're sitting there in their offices right now. They've got a PR firm. They're looking at what their next statement will be. And they're recognizing that in this day and age, one misstep could cost them in a way that it never had before. And for that, I am thankful. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.